Let us stand for the reading of God's word, the book of Jonah. Chapter one. We will read verses one through three. This is the word of the Lord. Give it your full attention. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this new year. We thank you for another day to worship you on your day. We pray, God, that you give us this morning insight by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the inspired word. Give us insight as to what it is that your heart beats. Give us insight, Father, into the pulse beat of your heart. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears and eyes and hearts and minds, Lord, that are formed and shaped by you. Father, I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you and your son may become more. Holy Spirit, let them not see me, but let them see you. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ and through the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Jonah. Although the book of Jonah is categorized as being one of the books of the minor prophets. You may have heard that saying before, minor prophets. Jonah is in the category of the minor prophets. Although the story of Jonah would probably be categorized as one of the major stories of the books of the Bible. Although the book of Jonah is only four chapters, as you open that book and you see, wow, four chapters, we will be done with this book this month. Although it's only four chapters, the book of Jonah is more widely known than other minor prophets such as Amos or Haggai or Obadiah. How about Naaman or Zephaniah? You've never heard of those people, most likely, most commonly, but you Reformed Christians, I'm sure, have. But we most certainly have, even before we were Reformed Christians and in good Bible teaching churches, you most certainly had heard of the book or story of Jonah. Why? Why have you heard of Jonah and not ever heard, if you're not a great Christian, or more red, red Christian, let's say it that way. Why have you never heard of the book of Zephaniah? Or why have you never even known that Obadiah was a prophet? But you most assuredly know that Jonah was a prophet. And you most assuredly know of his stories. More than likely, you've been hearing his story since you were a child. Why have you been hearing Jonah's story and not the story or the prophecy of Zephaniah? I think that we would all know the answer to that question. G. Campbell Morgan said, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish of the book of Jonah 
They have failed to see the great God of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. The book of Jonah is about great sin being swallowed up by the great grace of God Almighty. Historically, not much is said and not much is known about the prophet Jonah. We first find mention of Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25 as he is sent by the Lord to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. The prophecy that Jonah was called to give the northern kingdom of Israel was quite the opposite of what call, what message he was called to give the people of Nineveh. God called Jonah to prophesy blessing to the northern kingdom of Israel. And the interesting thing about that prophecy was Jonah was to prophesy blessing to the northern kingdom in spite of their idolatry, in spite of their disobedience. In essence, Jonah was to go prophesy God is going to bless you no matter what. It sounds like a very good job. It sounds like a job that any preacher would love to do. Go into the marketplace and say to all of those sinners, God is going to bless you. You will be the most popular prophet on the block. Jonah was giving a job, given a job that that anyone would love, an easy job. In the book of Jonah, though, the Lord calls Jonah and gives him a different assignment than what he was previously given before. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and to do what? To call out against that evil, wicked city. God is calling Jonah to do something that had never been done before in the history of Israel. Now, listen closely. What had never been done before in the history of Israel? Go outside the nation of Israel. Go outside the borders of Israel and bring the message of God to a foreign nation. Never been done before. Up until that time, all the prophecies had been for the nation, by the nation, for the nation, to the nation. Up until that time, all of the prophecies of other nations had been against other nations, but they had been spoken to them from afar. Never before had a prophet gone to that nation and spoken directly to them the judgment of God that was coming their way. What is God doing? What is God doing by sending Jonah to the city of Nineveh? God is forwarding. His eternal purposes to bring salvation to the nations. And God is using Jonah as his first man, the very first one, the forerunner, if you will, to go to the nations and bring the message of God. Jonah is picking up the mantle for the very first time and taking it to the nations. The book of Jonah is an interesting book because the book appears to be about Jonah. But it's really not about Jonah at all. This book is about the great grace of God. And this book is typological, meaning it's a narrative of Jonah. It's a narrative. It it is a prophecy, but it is a narrative. And it points us ultimately to the one who would not run from the call of God, but who would run to the call of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This book of Jonah is about how the Lord God uses even flawed men. For his great purposes, every person that God calls 
is flawed. Every person that God uses is flawed. There is not one flawed person in this entire world or the entire existence of man, save one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's ordinary means for saving the lost, for bringing sinners back to himself, is by using or raising up men and women and then using them to send them out with the gospel, the good news. That is how God ordinarily uses the means to bring the gospel to the nations. He raises up godly men. He raises up godly women. And then he sends them into the nations. And too often, the church has been looking for better methods. Better methods on bringing the gospel to the nations. When all the while, God is looking for better men and for better women to take the gospel to the nations. God does not come up with methods. He does not come upon methods. He comes upon men and women and puts his spirit upon them to take the gospel to the nations. Now, as we come to the first three verses of this chapter, we find ourselves, where are we in history? We are in the middle of the 8th century. If you're taking notes, where are we? The middle of the 8th century before Christ. That would be 800 years before the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, the northern kingdom, is being ruled by an ungodly, wicked king. His name, if you're taking notes, is Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Israel is prospering politically. Again, just as Jonah had prophesied that they would profit in 2 Kings chapter 14. But... They are, although they are prospering politically, they are in moral and spiritual decline. They're prospering as a nation, but spiritually, they are in spiritual decline. Sounds familiar, does it not? As our new president is taking office, we start to see, as we usually do when new presidents come in, we start to see the economy go up. And yet, do you see the spiritual increase or progress? No, we don't. Israel has been in free fall, spiritual free fall over the past 200 years. And at this time of political prosperity and spiritual decline, God calls Jonah to go off to the east, to go to the heartland of the great empire of that day, Assyria, and speak God's word concerning judgment that is coming to the people of Nineveh. This morning, as we look at these three verses, we have just three points this morning that we'd like to share. Number one, God seeks and saves the lost. God seeks and saves the lost. Verse number one of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to that great city and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. This is an interesting statement. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And yet the actual preaching of Jonah. The message of Jonah as we see in the Bible. It only consists of five words in the original Hebrew language. So although God gives Jonah a message. That message that we see recorded for us in the book of Jonah is only five words. It's found in the third chapter of the first verse or the fourth verse. As far as the narrative is concerned, Jonah does very little preaching. Look through the book of Jonah. 
What is his message? Look through the book of Jonah. How long is his message? Of all the prophets in the entire Bible, Jonah is the one who has the least to say. In all of the books of all of the prophets, Jonah is the one who has the least to say. His message is what we find or consists of the words that we find in the third chapter. So then what is the message of Jonah? What is the message of Jonah? The message of Jonah is not so much the message he preaches. The message of Jonah are the events that are recorded for us in the book of Jonah. I'll say that again. The message of Jonah is not so much the words that he preaches, but rather the message of Jonah is the events that take place in the book of Jonah. So, the narrative of Jonah is the message of God in this prophecy. The story that you see in the four chapters of Jonah is the message of God. It appears at first reading... That Jonah was given a message to pronounce judgment on the city of Nineveh. And in one sense, he was given a message to pronounce judgment. The people of Nineveh were evil. The Bible says that they were so evil that their evil had come up before the Lord. Nineveh was a wicked city. Their wickedness had come up before. You may have heard that saying before you or if you know your Bible well, you can remember The evil of men coming up before the Lord. There was another city whose evil had come up before the Lord. The city of Sodom. Their wickedness was extraordinary. Their wickedness was an extraordinary display of sin. And their evil even caught the attention of heaven. It was to this city. A city whose evil was well known by men. And well known by God, it was to this city that God called Jonah, go to that city and proclaim judgment upon their evil. But there was something going on behind the announcement. There was a plan and purpose of God behind their impending judgment. There was a deeper matter. There was a deeper purpose of God at work. What was it? Jonah chapter four, verse two. And he prayed, Jonah, to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What was the purpose of God? It was not necessarily to damn the people of Nineveh. It was to save the people of Nineveh. And Jonah knew this. Was it to announce, Jonah 3, 4, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown? Yes, it was to announce this, but there was a deeper work. There was a deeper purpose of God in sending Jonah. The judgment of God is at your door. That is the message of God. And yet, that message was to be a divine means of grace so that the people of Nineveh would be awakened to the seriousness of their sin against God. The ultimate purpose of God was not to damn the people of Nineveh. The ultimate purpose of God 
was rather to save these wayward people. And Jonah knew this. That is why God was sending Jonah. Jonah goes to these people. And when God sends the message among these people, it is an act of mercy. When God sends the message to these people, it is an act of mercy. And listen, and that is why Jonah is so upset. Think slowly here. It is an act of mercy. And that is why Jonah is so upset. That is why Jonah is so frustrated. Jonah could have dealt with God saying, you go to Nineveh and you tell them time is up. But that is not what happened. Jonah couldn't deal with the thought that behind this message, God was intending to save and seek lost people and bring them to himself. And listen, not just any people, a wicked people. A vile people. A people who hated God. Jonah had lost his gospel witness. He forgot what Israel was supposed to be all about. Israel was not supposed to be safe within their borders. Thumbing their nose at, at, at foreign nations and saying, we have God and you don't. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel was supposed to be salt to the nations as a witness to God in order to draw them to God. And rather than be a witness to the nations. And and Paul speaks about this in the book of Romans, actually. That Israel became arrogant. That Israel became arrogant in their belief as if they were untouchable. And rather than being the light and salt that they were intended to be. Rather than proclaiming the glory of God and the truth to the nations. They failed in their calling. They most often failed in their calling. They most often, rather than than drawing the nations to God, they followed the nations in their idolatry. Rather than calling the nations to come to Christ, they followed the nations in their sin and their disobedience. God was calling this man to go to the nations with a message of judgment That would produce repentance. God was sending Jonah to save people. And this is who God is. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. God is a God who has an evangelistic pulse beat in his heart. God is an evangelist. God is the first evangelist when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is ancient Iraq. God says you will be blessed and all the families in all of the earth will be blessed through you. Which is to say, Abraham, my blessing does not end with you. My blessing does not even end with your ancestors. My blessing is to be for all of the peoples of all of the earth. Because God is a God who seeks and saves those who are his. God is a God who from the foundations of the world has been reaching out to people and bringing them to himself. And this truth finds its, this, his, its climactic apex in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. For God so loved the world. This world. For God so loved this world. 
in all of its wickedness, in all of its vile sin, in all of its unbelief, I seriously doubt that we are any less wicked than Nineveh. I seriously doubt that we are any less wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek and to save his people from the judgment and wrath of God. You fell in Adam. And did he forsake you? No. You deserved a a lost eternity. Suffering under the wrath of God. And did he forsake you? You deserve to be eternally separated from God. And did he separate himself from you? No. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? Isn't it remarkable? In the book of Genesis chapter 3, after Adam rebels against God and his command and sends all of his progeny, all of his descendants into sin. Isn't it amazing? The words that come thereafter. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Was God not aware of their sin? Oh, he was aware of their sin. He had ordained it. And yet, even though they had rebelled against the one who had created them to glorify and to love him with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. When they turn against God, seeking to be like God. He comes down. He does not stay and remain aloof from them. God comes down and walks among them. What kind of God is this? Brothers and sisters, he is a God who does not change. He is a God who still and always will be a seeking God who comes to personally save his own from their sins. God is the first evangelist, the first one to come with the message of hope. Trust in him. Believe upon him. God came to seek and to save the lost. And he sends his man, Jonah, his messenger, to go with the message of judgment that will, God willing, produce repentance and salvation to a lost and sinful people. And brothers and sisters, God still commissions his disciples to go to the Ninevehs of the world. God still commands his disciples to go into the nations and to preach the gospel, to call people to the judgment or to know of the judgment of God that is coming upon unrepentant sinners. To go to the peoples with ears and hearts that God is fashioning and preparing for the message that you hold in your hearts to be heard. You hold the message. God is fashioning and preparing their hearts and their minds and their ears to hear. You go. Call people to come to Christ, to repent of their sins. Who do we go to? How will we go? Will it be at the marketplace? Will it be at Martin Luther King Park or at the mission that we'll be going to in February? Will it be with the the puppet ministry? Yes, those are all means of calling people to Christ. But brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, calling The lost to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ alone, to place their faith in Christ alone. Listen, 
will most ordinarily, most commonly, most normally be done as ordinary people, common people, like you and I, live such gospel-centered, Christ-centered lives that compel people to ask, what is that? What is that? Why do you speak that way? Why do you respond that way? What makes you act in the way that you do? Why do you not do what they do when they do what they do? What is it about you? As you and I live our lives on a daily basis, Christ-centered, gospel-centered ways, they will come and they will ask you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Go to the marketplace, yes. But most often there is very few who go. Go to puppets in the park, yes. But most often there are very few. Go to the mission, yes. But there are often most very few who go. But live your daily lives in your workplace. You're there every day. Be among your family members who get on your nerves. Who say things that you just want to tell them. Shut up. I had an experience like that recently. Get out of my... Why? And then I have to remind myself, I'm there to be light. I'm there to be salt. I could be as sour as you are very easily. But then I would miss the point of the reason why I have been placed in your family. To be a witness to you. To be light to you. As much as your darkness sometimes frustrates me. It is our call to be Jonah's in this world. And there are often times when we want to run from that call, do we not? There are often times we want to say no and run the opposite direction. But God has called us to be light and to be salt right where we are. Go to evangelistic events such as what we'll do in February. Yes, those are great things. But must you wait until February? You will go and eat or be around an unbeliever today. And how will you witness for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to my own heart as well. I'm speaking to my own heart as well. Who was the last person that we shared the gospel with? Who was the last person that we know needed to hear the gospel and we have yet to share that with them? I'm waiting for the perfect time. I'm waiting for the perfect moment. I am praying for you then because I hear you. I understand where that's coming from. But be intentional. Don't see cracks of the window open or cracks of the door open and shut them really quick. See them open and bust through them. See them open and come through them. When was the last time we intentionally shared the gospel with our mailman? With our next door neighbor? And did so with the purpose of inviting them in and letting them see what a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life looks like. I'm speaking to my own heart as well. When people see the light and taste the salt that is being produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives, when they look at our lives and ask the questions, why do you do what you do? Brothers and sisters, let that be opportunities for you to point them to Christ. 
Let that be opportunities for you to point them to Christ. God is a seeking God. And he most ordinarily uses his people to seek and to save the lost. How will the nations come to Christ? One by one. One by one. The, the pulse beat of our God has an evangelistic rhythm. And if we fail to get on that wavelength, then we are altogether missing the heart of God. Jonah had missed the heart of God. God is a God who seeks and saves the lost. Secondly, what does Jonah do? Jonah ran from God. Secondly, Jonah ran from God. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We have no record, not one, of any prophet saying no to God, except one. There is no record of any prophet disobeying God, except one. Jonah holds the title. Jonah holds the title. I was talking to a family member yesterday who said, you and your wife always respond and you never will stop responding until you say, have a good day. You guys hold the title. We kind of threw up the Daniel Bryan. Yes, fingers. But anyways, you don't know who that is. We'll talk about that later. Jonah has the unique title of being the prophet who said no to God. And worse than that, tried to run and hide from God. Think about this. Not only does he say no to God, but he also says, I'm going to run and hide from God. God's man runs away from God. And we are left to wonder, what in the world is Jonah thinking? Run from God. Jonah is not theologically ignorant. Let's let that, that settle in for just a moment. Jonah is no theological slouch. He knows his word and he knows God. Does he think that he can outrun God according to what he knows theologically? Let's just take one one passage. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Just, just one verse. I, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, hell, there you are also. Jonah knows this. And yet, verse 3, he rose to flee from the presence. Listen, he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Where exactly is that? Where is that? He rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Where exactly is that? Where do you go to flee from the presence of the Lord? Where can he go? Brothers and sisters, sin can make us act in ways that do not line up with what we know to be true. Sin can make us act in ways that we know not to line up with our theology. Sin can make us act in ways that we know are the opposite of what we know to be true, but yet we're doing the opposite. Jonah runs from God and God's presence as if you could do so. And we could hardly miss the echo of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve. Seek to hide from the presence of God as he walks in the garden after their sin. It is absolutely absurd to think you could hide from God. And yet we so often do so. God is everywhere present in his creation. God is, is, is distinct from his creation, but he is also everywhere present in his creation. Let that blow your minds for the day. 
We cannot run or hide from God. It is foolishness. And it is the foolishness of sin. It's, it's foolishness. But why? Because it is the foolishness that sin produces. Disobey God. I know what I'll do next. And I'll hide from him. It's the foolishness that sin produces. It so warps our minds that we begin to think irrationally. You ever sinned and then you start to put all sorts of pieces together in order to, to cover your sin. And it just does not work. Especially before God. And that is why we can so easily relate to Jonah's foolish actions of trying to hide and run away from God. Because we have so often done the same. Do you and I always desire to obey God's will for our lives? Do we always desire to obey God with joyful obedience? Do we always delight in the will of God for our lives? <laughs> Do we often always readily pray, not your will, but my will be done? I don't think so. It is usually only when we are at the end of ourselves that we will pray. Not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because we have finally come to the realization that we can do nothing. Amen. But we only will come to that point when we finally have tried every single thing on our own to do it ourselves. And then finally, at the end of all of that, when we've come to the end of ourselves, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. As if we are humble believers. Why not start there rather than in there? Or why not start there and in there? We don't do that because we hide from God. We won't come to church because we're hiding from God. We won't fellowship or have conversations with other believers because we're hiding from God. There are different ways, brothers and sisters, if we are honest. But there are times. And many times, if we are honest with ourselves. That we have behaved just as foolishly as Jonah. Mm -hmm. Upset with a fellow person in the church. Rather than obeying God and, and settling that. I won't come to church for a while until I'm over it. And then you don't ever get over it. Right. Hiding from obeying God. Avoiding certain things so that you don't have to obey or be confronted with the prospects of obedience. Why did Jonah? Now think about this. And we're going to progressively answer this question. Why did Jonah flee from the presence of God? Why? If you're taking notes, you should ask that question or write it down. Why did Jonah flee from the presence of God? Jonah runs. Because he does not want to see the mercy of God come to these foreign Gentiles. Okay, stop. Why? Why does he not want to see the mercy of God come to these, these foreign Gentiles? Is he a xenophobe? Is he a person who does not like other races? Is he a racist, as someone has suggested? I won't say his name. I don't think so. I don't think necessarily that you could conclude first and foremost that Jonah is a racist therefore he does not want the nations to be saved not first and foremost then why because Jonah did not want to see 
the people of Nineveh. Now, now we're starting to get more narrowed in. The people of Nineveh be saved and repent of their sins, their wicked sins. Why? And, and, and also think about this. Can you imagine a prophet of God not wanting to see the mercy of God come to a people? Think about that. For That's a side note. Can you imagine a prophet of God not wanting to see the mercy of God come to a people and then be saved? Unfathomable. Why? Why wouldn't he want to see these people be saved? Now, here we go. Nineveh has a reputation. We've already talked about their reputation. Their reputation of evil is so grand that their evil has come up before the Lord. That's how wicked these people of Nineveh are. It is a violent nation by their own confession in chapter 3. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, Assyria at that time in the 8th century B.C. was growing to become the world superpower. They would be overtaken eventually by Persia. This is before Esther. huh? 722, shortly after the time of Jonah, they will come. Assyria will come and they will conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. So they will eventually take over Israel. And they also will eventually be taken over. But we still haven't asked them the question, why not these people? Why not Nineveh? Now, here's the answer. Here's what I believe to be the answer. Because the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, here we go. Never once as a whole, as a as a nation, never once did they turn from their idolatry. The northern kingdom of Israel has never once turned from their idolatry. Never once, they never once have had one king in the northern kingdom who was not idolatrous and disobedient. What does that have to do with anything? Jonah knows this. Jonah knows this. He knows that he is not living among a faithful people. And if the word of God goes to Nineveh, listen, if the word of God goes to Nineveh, and the word of God is a means of grace. When God's word is given to any person, It is a means of grace. It is a merciful act that they are hearing God's word because they then have the opportunity to repent and turn to God. So if the word of God goes to Nineveh and the people of Nineveh, the wicked, vile, sinful, their sin has come up before the Lord. If their sin or if the message comes and they hear the message in their sin and listen, and if they repent, what kind of judgment will come upon the northern kingdom? That always hears the message. That has prophets within it. And they do not repent. Or. Oh not or. And they have not yet repented. Do you hear that? Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Because if he goes to Nineveh and they repent. Upon hearing the message of God. And he's constantly preaching the message of God in his own country, in his own land. And they do not repent. What kind of judgment will come upon his people? If they repent, if they don't repent, and these sinful people do. Jonah is concerned for his people. He's concerned that his nation will suffer the wrath of God for not repenting. And you've had these two comparisons. 
One hears God's message and does not turn. And they are supposed to be the people of God. One hears God's message and they are supposed to be the wickedest people on the face of the earth. And they repent. What kind of judgment comes to these people? It would mean that they would be judged severely. These wicked foreigners have heard the message and they've turned from their sins. You all the while have had the message. You've had the prophets. You've had the law. And you have not turned from your sins. And 100 years later, this is exactly what happens to the northern kingdom. They are taken into captivity. Jonah, it's concerned for his people. The Lord Jesus Christ gave the same kind of rebuke in Luke chapter 10 when he rebuked the unbelievers of his day. He said in Luke 10, 32, listen to this. The men of Nineveh, as, as the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ is preaching and they are, re, they are resisting his message. Here's what he says to them. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and they will condemn you. How, how deep is that? The men of Nineveh, the wicked, sinful men of Nineveh will rise up. On the day of judgment, and they will point their fingers at you and condemn you for your unbelief. <laughs> for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something or someone greater than Jonah is here. They repented at Jonah's message. One who is greater than Jonah is here, and you still resist. You hard, sinful hearted people. Jonah foresaw this, and he did not want his people to perish. His people would be judged severely by God. Even though Nineveh was wicked and vile and sinful, they did not harden their hearts at the preaching of God's word, as Israel would do again and again and again at the preaching of God's word. And because of it, they would be judged. What about you? What about those whom you love, who have heard the word of God over and over and over again? And we have excuses for them. Well, they don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't party too much. They don't sleep around. As if that was the greatest of your worries for their lives. They will stand before a, a wrathful God one day. How then will they be saved? Saved from what? Not saved from hell. Not saved from Satan and a so-called imaginary pitchfork that came in the Middle Ages. How will they be saved from God? And then you see those who are sinful in their lives. Who you are shocked and amazed that they are even saved. You, how did you come to believe? Those who have heard over and over again, they will be judged severely. And you must be like a Jonah in their lives, calling them to repent. And you must also be aware of the vast judgment the great judgment that will become that will come upon them who hear the word of God all the time and do not repent of their sins. We had a good a good house 
size last week for Sunday's service, and glory be to God for that. How many will hear that message of last week and have it be the only message they ever hear for the rest of their life and not repent? And how many will hear that message over and over again and not repent? Don't be the, either one of those. Jonah had developed a national, cultural, and spiritual narrow heart. This message, he believed, was for his people and his people alone. They were to be saved first. Them first, and then everybody else. How did that happen? To be culturally, spiritually, nationally, narrow-minded. We don't know. But what we do know is this. Things like that don't happen overnight. Attitudes like Jonah's don't happen overnight. They, they are developed over time. There's a history behind them. There was a digression that takes place. There's a little pride here and a little arrogance there. And before you know it, your heart has grown, grown cold before God. You can come to these church services, these Lord's Day worship meetings every Sunday, and your heart can become cold even to hearing. Go, share the gospel. God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ, life, death, resurrection, repent of sin, <coughs> cost of discipleship. You can become cold to hearing that rather than letting your heart be warmed each time you hear that. Because each time you are warmed by hearing that, you are more inspired to go and obey that. That message, that call to go and make disciples. Of what? Of all nations. Of all nations. Of all peoples. Jonah's heart had become disconnected from the heart of God. The pulse beat of God's heart has an evangelistic rhythm. Have you and I become disconnected from the heartbeat of God? Have we become disconnected? Have we forgotten that we are to be gospel witnesses when we leave this place? Have we forgotten that we are to be salt and light when we leave this place? Have you forgotten where you've come from? We too often become content in our own safe bubble. As the rest of the world heads towards a Christless eternity. Don't forget the call that God has upon you. To go into all the world. To make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Teaching them to obey all things that he has commanded. And when you do so, he is with you. And third and finally and shortly, Jonah boards a ship to flee from God. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So we paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Joppa is still in his, is, is there today. And he finds a ship that is headed toward Tarshish. During that time, if you were trying to go to the ends of the world, if you were trying to escape to the ends of the world, the saying was, you go to Tarshish. In that day... If you were trying to go to the ends of the world, the saying was, 
then go to Tarshish. Tarshish was modern-day Spain. Joppa and Spain, you'll see Gibraltar, or the Gibraltar, something like that, where you see Spain and Africa in the distance. That is how far Jonah is running away from God. Jonah is frustrated with God. He's angry with God. He's angry that the call that God is, to the call that God has given him. And Jonah ran as far as he could in order to escape from the presence and call of God. What does this say to us? Because this book is not over. And Jonah's life and calling is not yet done. It says to us this. That great usefulness before God does not mean that you will never mess up and even mess up badly. Jonah's still going to be used by God, although he runs, although he tries to run to the end of the world. He's still going to be used by God. He cannot run from him. Have you ever tried to run? And there's a conversation. Or there is a person. Or there is a sign. A literal sign. Not like a, oh gosh, the heavens. Uh, but a sign. Or a show. Or a song. Or a radio station. The, there's a funny cartoon called Zootopia. You may have seen it in that movie. And I don't know why I'm bringing this up. It's not in my notes, but hopefully the point sticks. This little bunny in the movie, she wants to be a cop with all of her heart. And she fails miserably on the first day. She goes home. And as she's sitting in her dirty, small apartment, she flips on her Pandora. And every song that comes on is, you're a loser. Change the next song. Why am I living in country song? Next song. Every song is just reminding her of how much of a failure she is. She puts her microwaved meal. It's a carrot into the microwave, opens it up and it shrivels into just a small little twig. She's having the worst day of her life, being reminded over and over again of how much of a failure she is. I think the opposite is true when God has has called you to be his own. That as you try to avoid conversations and people, they come up with strangers. As you try to avoid even churches and anything that looks close, anything near to a church, you find yourself traveling and lo and behold, your friends want to visit a cathedral. You watch a television show and they're talking exactly about your life and where you are and how God is the only way that you or I could be saved. You cannot run from God. And it isn't, isn't it amazing that when we run, we think, but I can never be used by God. I can never be loved by God or embraced by people. Only to find that when you come, he is somehow putting you to the forefront he somehow, every time people want to use you for things, and you keep saying to yourself, but I'm no one, and that's exactly why God wants to use you. I can think of our brother Mark, 
And I don't mean to put him on a pedestal, but I'm using him as an example who came and who was kicking drugs when he came. Who on his first day when he was here slept through the entire service. Did not want to be here on the second one, but was awake. And after the third one, somehow, some way, by the grace and spirit of God, cracked a smile. And then took over, if you will, some of the responsibilities of our beloved brother Joe. And just this past month, sharing the gospel for two minutes. Actually, we gave him three. And I said, if you go more than three, the mic will be snatched from your hand. To share the gospel with people at the mission. We think of our brother Louis, who has, since I have known him, not lost the evangelistic rhythm, the heartbeat of God. It was going to rain a few weeks ago, and Louis was scheduled to go out with Hungry and the Homeless, and he called me and said, what do you think we should do? And me, knowing Louis, I know what Louis wanted to do. I said, Louis, you do what you, what you think is best. I trust you, brother. What is his response? And we were expecting Hurricane Andrew type of rain. We're going to go. And if it rains, it rains. And, you know, there's only a few who go. And he's not going for fanfare, for money. He's not going for glory. Louis has what my father had. Louis has what Pastor John has. I will go and I don't need to be paid. There might be two boys sitting in front of me as I preach the gospel and they may not even understand what I'm saying because we speak different languages, but I'm going to go. And then we ask, why? Why are you going? You don't get anything. No, you don't. Not here. But my father right now is inheriting all of the riches and all of the rewards that he deserved from all of the faithful times that he got up with my mother all of those Saturday mornings and those Sunday mornings, driving two hours forward, driving two hours back and only getting a bag of chips and a Dr. Pepper. Oh, the reward is grand. And it may not come here, Louis. It may not come here, brothers and sisters. But our reward is in Christ. That we have been joined and united with him. And then we will not taste the sting of death. And anything else after that is frosting on the cake. Some of you guys will only eat frosting like my wife. Anything else than that is more than what we deserve. It may not come now. But obey the command of God to go. You can't run. You can't hide. And your reward is with Christ. There was one who ultimately did not run from God's presence. And yet he is the only one who ultimately was shut out of God's presence for our sake. Becoming the sin bearer of the world. He did not refuse to go to Nineveh. And he would not refuse to go to the entire world. To seek and to save the lost. To call people to repentance. To trust in him alone for salvation. 
Have you trusted in him? Have you trusted that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you can be saved to the glory of God alone? I pray. I pray, dear one, that is the case. Let us stand.